Hello, and welcome to Calamity, a podcast about natural and not-so-natural disasters. In each episode, we examine a catastrophic event from world history. We are your hosts, the Coolman Sisters. I'm Jema. I'm Jillian. And I'm Caitlin. And today's episode... I am going to be doing the hosting. So this is Caitlin. Um, I'm the littlest and I know the least about history, geography, and science, but I'm leading the discussion today. So <laughs> I just, just want to short. One. I just, well, I just want to stress maybe littlest, but, but tallest. So <laughs> there is that. <laughs> Most ornery. I think we all have a. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's got to be a three way tie at least. For sure. <laughs> all right, guys. So today we're going to dive into a really, really fascinating topic. I started researching um, different disasters around the world. I came across one that actually ended up being much bigger and broader than I realized, but it is so awesome. And I cannot wait to talk to you guys about it. It covers so much ground, like from a geological and economic and history standpoint. I am so excited. You three are like, you two are the, <laughs> the, the two I'm most excited to talk to you about. <laughs> also, can't, cannot help but mention this. Um, as I was reading over this and Driving in, I thought of Mr. Cronk from Tanaska High School. What? He was my history teacher. Shout out. He did fabulous. But it just occurs to me like how hard it is for a history teacher to impress upon young pupils like how important history is. And I just want to say this story had had it been taught to me in high school, I feel like I would have latched onto history in a whole different way because it it's one so are you shouting out mr trump for not teaching you this <laughs> both like he made such an impression on me oh, okay. so shout out to him oh, okay but then also more like you know recommendation for the other history teachers who might be out there like looking for um looking for some good material i would say covering these couple of topics is is just gonna be mind-blowing for students okay so wait i have an idea about ado, that can i piggyback on that because okay. i feel like history classes are always taught war to war yes, yes. to war one and that is so freaking boring king. yeah it's so boring so yeah. but you could tell this exact same story disaster to disaster to disaster yeah like yeah. worldwide mm -hmm. or you know even localized disasters um would be a good way to read a history book mm-hmm yeah. And you'd still yeah. get all the information you need about the different epochs and whatever, but. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. End of rant. All right. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent point. No, that wasn't a rant. It was a, it was a guided recommendation. So <laughs> we're going to start with the 1815 eruption of Mount Tambora. And it kind of dives into a second disaster, but we're going to come to that when we get there. So. Um, first of all, as my sisters know, I have to orient myself visually on a map to understand where on earth <laughs> other people might have a full handle on where all the countries are, but I tend to go to the globe and just figure out exactly where I'm at. So you guys are going to envision Australia and the very smack dab of Australia. If you were to go straight north from there, uh-huh. All the way up, you would run into Japan. Uh -huh. So way that's kind of the middle of Australia. Now, on the right side of Australia, you go up a little bit. Um, the island of um, country island of uh, Papua New Guinea is on the right side of Australia. But if you were to then um, kind of switch, go over to the left side of Australia, right directly above that is the tail end of Indonesia. And Indonesia is a country um, made of lots of different islands. It kind of makes this beautiful little crescent that goes, um, makes a curve upward towards uh, Thailand and Vietnam. And we're going to be smack dab in, um, in Indonesia during this talk today. So right. we're talking about Ma Mount Tambora, which is on the island of uh, Sumbawa. Is it smack it's dab on the island, Caitlin, or is it... <laughs> 
off to mm. one side. <laughs> well, if you want to be really specific, it's not smack dab in the middle of Indonesia. It's actually like the lower part of the crescent and on the island specifically, it's also not smack dab. It's kind of to the right, okay. like upper right. So how many yeah, times you can yeah. get that phrase in the podcast. I think we have a visual. <laughs> yeah, you've placed okay, it well, so, Caitlin. Okay. Um, at the time, it was part of the Dutch East Indies, but today we would know it as Indonesia. Um, and obviously, I've already said this is an eruption. Um, I'll preface it by saying, though, that this particular volcano had been dormant for centuries prior to this. It was a sleeping giant. It wasn't very active whatsoever. So it was um, a huge surprise to everybody in the area when it started being very active out of the blue all of a sudden. Um, this was a, a huge eruption and it surprised the local residents. It took them by surprise. And because of that, uh, some of the sources that I had read and, and watched um, said it was like the Pompeii of the East where it was huge, it was massive mm-hmm. and the people were unprepared. Um, oh. But it, it truly was huge. Um, I'm so it we just don't hear about it as much maybe in the west because uh you know the word hasn't really i guess from that time didn't circle the the globe quite as much as pompeii but anyway um just to kind of give you give you an idea of how big a scale this was um again right off the bat kind of broad strokes this was this is actually the largest observed eruption in recorded history. Um, we say recorded because obviously before humans started recording things, it's very possible uh, that there were as large or larger, but without any sort of, you know, human mm-hmm. witness, it's, it's hard, to, hard to necessarily tell. I mean, we, we can go back into geology and kind of make assumptions about how big a certain volcanic eruption might have been but this registers on the VEI scale as a seven and again it's the highest that any volcano has ever been rated so the VEI is the volcanic um I wrote down wrong I wrote exclusivity index (laughs) it's um the volcanic what is it explosive explosive explosivity yeah, explosivity, that. explosivity yes. index. Um, I didn't know what that was, so I looked that up. It was a scale that was created in 1982, uh, so relatively recently. But it's a way to categorize volcanic eruptions, and they're mostly measuring um, the ejection of, you know, both smoke and mass. Uh, mm-hmm. like from a height and from a, a weight perspective on like how much came out of the volcano. So that's sure. it's you know, almost how, like how big of a bomb was. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Cool. It's like the Richter so the- scale for volcanoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or whatever they do hurricanes with. I can't remember that scale, but they have a. Yeah. Oh, wow. One to five or something. Should do a podcast episode on all those scales at some point. Well, Jema, what a great idea for the next episode. <laughs> I think you volunteered dry. yourself there. All of, all of our disaster junkies are going to be listening and be like, really? We're just doing a history of scales? <laughs> history of scales today? I find it interesting, but yeah. I know I would listen- too. But... Listeners wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe there's some angle we could take on it. All right. So. The details of the eruption itself, it occurred in April, which, as you know, is my favorite month of the year. Um, It started around April 5th, and it started with a relatively small eruption, which I think, well, geologists are assuming might have given the local residents kind of a false confidence about, um, Mm -hmm. well, oh, it's just spewing a little bit. It's fine. Like, it's not like it, it didn't seem super harmful at first. But the eruptions continued for several days, and w- there was lots of noises going on, lots of thunderous detonation sounds kind of underground. But finally, the big, huge eruption occurred on April 10th. So it had been about five days of slowly building up. And 
On April 10th, uh, my sources say that around 7 p.m. is when things really got out of hand, like absolutely everything. Um, it's when the, 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 the biggest explosion occurred was April 10th. Um, so I, I want to say, too, that the, the sources that I went to for information, they didn't say this outright, but um, there's just not I, I've done other volcanic um, eruption research before, and there's a lot of eyewitness this discussion. There's not a whole lot of that here. And I want to come to the jump to the conclusion that it's probably like we know that it just absolutely killed and um and every a lot of the the neighboring islands as well so there's not a whole lot of um eyewitnessing except for some of the islands that were hundreds of miles away mm-hmm. and uh I'll, I'll talk about that here in just a second but i i want to i just want to point that out it's kind of a weakness in this narrative because we don't have a lot of what was it really truly exactly like and that's really because unless you are hundreds of miles away, you didn't survive. So um, the the reports that we do have are about the noise that had the of the eruption. Um, so we're looking at people on the present day island of Sumatra. This is um, 1,600 miles away. Wow. Where the they could comes hear from. <laughs> yes. They could hear it. They thought that it sounded like gunfire. Um, really? Other islands much closer. Uh, let's see. Cities reported hearing detonation sounds uh, 240 miles away, 780 miles away, 870 miles away. I didn't write down the names of the islands because I knew I would butcher them anyway. Mm-hmm. But those are all different islands um, who had separate recordings of you know the same date and, and re- reporting hearing what they thought was cannon fire, actually, um, mm-hmm. at the time ships had cannons. In fact, a couple of the coastal cities sent out some ships to go in search of a ship out there who might have been in distress or mm-hmm. in an emergency. Because I guess at the time, if there was mm-hmm. some sort of emergency, you would set off all of your cannons and hope that somebody would like would hear it and come out sure. and save you. Like we so, fire off flares now. Yeah. Yeah. Or but, they think there's a, you know, a sea battle going on and they sail the other way, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, let's get away from that. No. But it was such um, a weird time with no communication, long distance right. communication. I, yeah. It's hard for me to even wrap my mind around the idea of being like, I guess we're just going to have to go look and see what that was. Because mm-hmm. we can't, you know, write a letter to someone. Who would we even write to? So. Yep. It's baffling. Um, let's see. So. looking through my notes here so that uh, the evening of april 10th is really when the full eruption took place um the whole mountain became a flowing mass the eruption column itself collapsed um so you're imagining a mountain Mm -hmm. and um the mountain kind of collapsed sort of in on itself but then also is being pushed out so it Mm -hmm. forms what's called a and i'm going to mispronounce it probably but a chiroplastic nope chiro pyroclastic 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 (laughs) current very good um and i I like chiroplastic we should come up with a definition for that word yeah that's good chiroplastic So I, I didn't know what that word meant. So I looked it up as well. Um, this is typically uh, very fast moving about the average is 62 miles per hour, although it's capable of reaching 430 miles per Whoa. hour. Apparently, um, A current or flow down a steep, you know, um, mm-hmm. steep mountain. Uh, it's usually four to 500 degrees in temperature. And it's made up of hot gas and volcanic matter. Matter, excuse me. So just rushing down the mountain, essentially get, killing absolutely everything yeah. in its past. It's, it's like a flood, but it, it's not water-based. And isn't mm-hmm. this and, uh, what they're concerned about? And you cannot survive a pyroclastic flow. Isn't this what, what they're concerned about in um, in Seattle? If Mount Rainier were to explode, it's it's the a similar kind of volcano where it's going to have these pyroclastic yes. flows that would yeah and they they also talk about lahars on Mount oh, right. rainier mm-hmm. where the melting glaciers because there's significant glaciers on rainier more right. than most mountains. so it's that's more like flooding. and that would 
that's like an actual water yeah well like mud and trees and gut sure. but yeah it would flood all the valleys where everyone lives that'll okay. be fun yeah a topic for another day <laughs> yes <laughs> a pyroclastic flow <laughs> um let's see so pumice stones which i've used on my feet before so i have at least some sort of grasp on what that <laughs> is um they were shot up into the air um, in sizes of up to 7.9 inches in diameter and were falling from the sky for about an hour and followed, wow. followed by ash after that. Um, one of the videos that I watched was explaining they had found more recently, like just in the last 10 years, um, a couple of um, archaeological, archaeologi- dang it, archaeological oh thank you (laughs) archaeological digs um, had discovered some people in their houses that were had been under at least 10 feet of ash so like uh, they like they found in um in italy with um Pompeii? pompeii yeah oh yes yes now, it took a very long time for them to find these. Well, I don't, maybe it took a long time for Pompeii. I don't, that's a topic for another day. But uh, yeah, th- these actually have been found really in the last uh, 10 to 15, well, 10 to 20 years. So huh. it's kind, oh, kind wow. of exciting. Yeah. Interesting. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, I think Jamie. read that National Geographic article. Yeah. They're, they're like these, they're, they're these hollow spaces because um, the body is gone that's decomposed. And so, at in um in the 1800s when they were excavating um uh around mount vesuvius um pompeii they developed this technique which is probably much better nowadays but uh essentially you you know when you find a, a cavity this this sort of empty space where the body was you um you fill it with plaster and it mm-hmm. fills oh, up really you it fills up the space because the 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 you know the um, I thought it, the space naturally filled up with other stuff after the body decomposed. No, because so, so left a mark, n- left a. Well, I mean, yeah, but then to to it's it's air, it's empty air. So so to excavate okay. it and to like see these bodies, yeah, you can't you, excavate air, right? Yeah. So you right, you can't, can't excavate air. Um, so it, when there's a volcano, this type of volcano that that leaves, um, you know, that that has the right the right temperature and the right kind of material or whatever, you know, the, the lava or whatever the, the material is, you know, covers, you know, people, houses, whatever. And the, the, what do I want to say? Like biological matter, you know, over the, over the years that disintegrates and, and, you know, does what it does is it did ashes to ashes. And so, so what's left is this sort of hollow space. And, and if you're careful in excavating, you can, when you, when you, find one of these spaces before it you know collapses you can fill it with with plaster of some kind and let it harden and then take the the um the dirt and and everything off from around the the plaster and then you're left with what was negative space this this hollow Mm -hmm. what was hollow Mm -hmm. and now it's the shape of the so when you go to Vesuvius and maybe this would be interesting to see at um Tambora you know you would have these um plaster essentially kind of they're not exactly plaster casts i guess but but you know the shows what that what the human was doing where they were where they were laying how they were facing all of that so yeah that's a really cool i didn't it hadn't occurred to me that they were at i mean of course they would be but i didn't really i i only really am aware of the ones that that i've seen at mount Vesuvius. i didn't know um but yeah, they're, they're, they would have been, I mean, there's probably other um, um, volcanic eruptions around the world that, that we have these sort of hollow, empty spaces sure. saved from. Yeah. And maybe Pompeii is just the most famous, like, For sure. yeah. sort of talked about earlier because it's in the West and it's kind of part of our Western mm-hmm. history. Yeah. It gets mm-hmm. the most attention, yeah. but there, yeah, there could be a lot. The ring of fire is only halfway western right, not even right. halfway western yeah <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of volcanoes in that area yeah. that have nothing to do with the, the with europe 
Well, and it does say it, it wiped mm-hmm. out the village of, the of Tem- Tambora. This this particular one, you know, there there were um, people That's living great, on the yeah. mountain or, or you know on the island anyway. Um, and so it does say it wiped out the the village. So Thank God, if you're on an island, you can't escape it. I mean, you probably couldn't anyway because yeah. you're so close. But even if you wanted to like get to high ground or drive somewhere. If you're watching the movie 2012 and you're John Cusack flying <laughs> a plane just outside of the, the Yellowstone pyroplastic cloud, you wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. On yeah, Tambora. Yeah, yep. Because it's not Hollywood. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I do want to say, too, that it, what was very interesting, one of, one of the interesting tidbits that the documentary I watched mentioned is it's very likely that um, at least a few... Um, Oh gosh, the word is now leaving my head. Um, I want to say tribes, but like uh, groups of people, genetic groups of people might have been wiped out entirely. Oh wow! Um, Ooh, interesting. Huh. Well, yeah, because um, it's pretty remote, much- and islands especially, yeah. you can get specific um, mm-hmm. genetic mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not yeah. the right word either. And we'll but never yeah. know, but that's that they're assuming that. Yeah. So interesting. Anyway. Um, so kind of just about to wrap up the explosion part and then I'm going to switch gears on you guys, but just, um, for another visual, I want to give you an idea of when the eruption was finally done, uh, with the aftermath, we have a caldera that was left that is four miles across and wow. 2000 feet deep. Hmm. Um, oh before the eruption, yeah, before the eruption, the peak had been 14,100 feet tall um, that's very near size tall. basically yeah okay i was gonna ask if one of you happened yeah. to have a comparison yeah so that's rainier good. is just above fourteen thousand. yeah mm-hmm. okay um it was one of the tallest of the indonesian peaks at the time but after wow. the explosion it lost a third of its of its height so it, it got knocked down to nine thousand three hundred fifty four mm-hmm. feet mm-hmm. So again, was 14,000 and some change and was now down to 9,000 and some change. With the images um, that you looked at, Caitlin, did it look at all like what we've seen images of Mount St. Helens? I think most of our listeners probably mm-hmm. have seen photos of that, but is it similar or did it look kind of different than that? Because it seems like the same type of explosion. Yeah, so I would say Mount St. Helens kind of, it, it looks as though it kind of lurched out in one side particularly. Yeah, it went off one, yeah, I went one sided, yeah. And this one is still very much a, a round caldera, just a, lower than it would have been otherwise. Um, okay, so it and it's straight now, up, basically. Yeah, straight up. And it has now been, re, like, the regrowth of trees and vegetation is full. It's actually lush um, area because this is again hundreds of years ago so um it, it's had and trees a love a little bit of volcanic action every now and then <laughs> yeah they do um so it is a little different but i would say you know that th- the way that it had lost its its height certainly would be similar so okay. um i will now talk about death tolls but i want to say that m- all the sources I read had different death tolls. So um, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. I'm thinking that the dust, uh, uh, sorry, Dutch East Indies, uh, they probably hadn't gotten around to doing a uh, full census of the islands. They That's probably true. They had control of mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. So what I think what I'm giving you um, would be the, the most conservative death toll, uh, which comes from Wikipedia. It's the, the fewest that I had read or seen. Um, but so you can imagine these, these numbers could very well have been actually inflated, but, or, you know, maybe the opposite of that these might be the lower end of the spectrum. Um, they think that the total death toll in that area was about 71,000 people. Um, and at least around 11 to 12,000 of those were killed directly by the, the eruption. So what that means is, um, you know, some people were killed by the actual explosion itself um, being either caught by lava or the flow that we talked about earlier um, being covered in ash. Uh, but then there were a lot of other deaths in the area that were that that stemmed from the eruption, but might have been attributed instead to, like, for example, starvation. 
after this point, it took a very long time for vegetation to grow back in the area. So there was no, absolutely no agriculture, nothing could grow. And so a lot of people um, over the, the next weeks and months ended up dying from starvation or from poisoning. Um, the, mm-hmm. the chemicals um, of both freshwater and ocean water, um, is so much um, sulfur was in the area and there was so much pollution, you know, air and water mm-hmm. pollution from the volcano that it um, made a lot of people sick and, and caused a lot of lung infections and, uh, and a lot of people passed away. Hmm. Sure. Um, again, kind of talking about just how widespread and, and how big this was. Um, we talked about how this happened in April and all the way over in October of the same year, we have two British ships that were about 2,000 miles west of Tambora, and they encountered extensive pumice rafts. Oh. Um, that Tell would have me just about been pumice rafts. What? All I have is the image in my head, because <laughs> I know what okay, pumice is, and I know too. what rafts That's are. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it was, it was so, like floating rock, because pumice is so yeah, light. Yeah. Exactly. That's yep. fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. I've never heard of that before and want to know everything. Thomas Rapps. <laughs> it has its own entry in uh, in Wikipedia. Tell us a little something about it, Jen. Well, it's a floating raft of pumice created by no way. eruptions. Oh, it says eruptions um, by some eruptions of submarine volcanoes. Uh, oh. and coastal subaerial volcanoes. Uh-huh. Um, oh, biologists suggest that animals and plants have migrated from island to island on pumice rafts. <gasps> wow. So well, that's that sounds fun. I want to see that Disney movie. Yeah. So, and then they have some uh, some notable examples. So they talk about um, pumice rafts drifted to Fiji in 1978 and and 1984. From eruptions around Tonga, um, they okay. some of these. So that's in the same. They were reportedly South Pacific area. Oh my gosh, they were reportedly nineteen miles wide. Whoa. What? I mean, this what? is a notable example. So that's probably not the typical size, but yeah, nine, it says yeah. nineteen thirty kilometers, nineteen miles wide. Yeah. Um, oh my god. Twenty. So could it? So it's like a floating island. Like, could you walk on it? If you wanted to, sounds like it. Yeah, I guess if animals could catch a ride. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't know why not? I mean, pumice isn't the most comfortable thing to float around the ocean. <laughs> right. You want to take your air mattress with you. You definitely do, and you don't want to have bare feet. You're definitely going to have to have some kind of Tiva sandals or something. Yep. Yeah, it sounds like there's very That's large, um, very large raft appeared in New Zealand in 2012. Um, well, then there has to be a picture. So we've got to find these photos. It was reported yes. to be we'll, spread we'll post on an area of 300 miles long and 30 miles wide. You know, when you think about a raft, it's usually like a loosely, <laughs> loosely kind of chunked um, together, stitched, stitched yeah. together wood. So in this case, maybe that, maybe that's what it is. Not like a solid block, like a, maybe, but it has some like. But like a closely mm-hmm. traveling group of rocks yeah. floating rocks it says ocean. it was it was mm-hmm. sticking about two feet above the ocean surface hmm. wow that is awesome that is, is so awesome is it like an is it like a ice nope a glacier yeah iceberg like glacier <laughs> no iceberg. like an iceberg does it stick way below the um <laughs> the ocean it, it, i almost said igloo <laughs> i couldn't remember the word for iceberg is it like an igloo <laughs> it's um it's not it's not exactly saying, but it does sound like a lot of. Well, I'm going to research that for the it's one of them. the The ones that they're saying are notable. There's like four or five here, are mostly in that part of the world. Uh, New Zealand, it's Fiji, New Zealand, and sure, um, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I don't. They don't have pictures on this page, but I wonder if Google has some. Okay, guys, but we're, we're let's let Caitlin move yeah. on with the yeah. story. Tell, yeah. us, tell us some more. Spending a lot of time on pumice rash, which is <laughs> awesome. Awesome stuff coming. Well, you know, awesome 
you know, horrible stuff coming. So <laughs> disastrous. It's a disaster uh, podcast. Well, I wanted to mention, Caitlin, that it, it also, you were talking about, you know, the causes of these different deaths and stuff. And um, uh, I was reading that there was actually a small, um, not small, a moderate, uh, whatever, whatever that means, but um, a tsunami was caused. Mm -hmm. And so some people, yes. oh, that, makes that sense. was on. Yeah, because a volcano can trigger earthquake like right which right and waves. and so they they're estimating that about um 4600 people on you know islands in the vicinity may have mm -hmm. may have died that could have been the cause of, yeah. of their death um they wouldn't have had any warning yeah it says it 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 sounds like in some of the islands, it was maybe 13 feet. The tsunami was 13 feet high. Mm -hmm. um, but then mm -hmm. some of the other islands are smaller, uh, three to six feet high. Okay. So anyway, so multiple calamities all caused by this one yes. explosion. Yes, which is exactly why it really caught my attention. So I'm going to go now into two other calamities that are related, directly related to this volcano. So one is a cholera outbreak. Um, cholera is Co a- Cholera. Cholera. Dang it. <laughs> Sorry, Kate. <laughs> I knew how to pronounce it yesterday when I was researching. <laughs> I think I was like, caldera. It's, it's right. only when you're being recorded or when you're like typing cholera. it out, that's when, that's yeah. when uh, you misspell it or you say it wrong. Cholera. Okay. Cholera. Cholera. I'm putting a collar on my dog. It's cholera. Okay. <laughs> um, so cholera had been considered up until this point a local disease, uh, mostly limited to India and Bangladesh area. Um, however, it is sensitive to changes in aquatic environments and mm -hmm. it can mutate. So mm -hmm. because of the changes in the ocean, both the, the heat and the um, chemical changes because of the, the sulfur in the water, um, it allowed the cholera to mutate way, way more rapidly, and it became um, much more um, infectious. So people would get it easier, and it eventually, over the course of um, it sounds like it took from 19, uh, sorry, 1815 to about 1830 uh, to reach like the entire world. So wow. it, it had just a small minor problem in one Ooh, corner. Yeah. Because of this volcanic activity, it became something that could very easily just go everywhere. So um, I want to talk about London yeah. for a minute. When it, it, it eventually yeah. was absolutely um horrible in london it the outbreak was mm -hmm. like uncontainable mostly because the the slumps of london had been built on these what used to be slumps slumps slumps, slumps. did you say slumps i said, I said slumps Slums. You can use whatever. <laughs> slums of london sounds like a dr seuss word <laughs> well it's, it's, a, it's a good word you know, i mean my mind is sometimes Dr. Seuss world, so that's okay. <laughs> All right. The All right. slums of London. of London had been previously swamps at one point, so just not a lot of drainage, not a lot of um, hygiene possible. And I'm glossing over a lot of information here, but really because of this uh, cholera outbreak in London, they had to... that the. the the officials and politicians decided to put in an underground sewer system that did not exist before. So had it not been for this eruption, which then triggered this outbreak, which then was, you know, demolishing the population of London, the sewer systems that made London eventually the, you know, the standout city that it, that it is today um, might not have really been implemented at it, at its time, and 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 that's I I say London specifically because it was the example used, but it sounds like a lot of European uh, cities had to establish underground sewer systems at about the same time due to the exact same problem. Mm -hmm. um, yes, there's a really good book 
by Stephen Johnson called The Ghost yep. Map. And that's about that cholera outbreak and how the a particular doctor and mm-hmm. some other smart people figured out what was wrong. Because they used to think that germs were part of miasma. Like just which is like in the in air. air. Yeah. They floated around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it, like if something smelled bad, then that meant there were germs right. there. Mm-hmm. Um, where in fact germs are actual microscopic yeah. and you just have to wash your freaking hands. <laughs> so um which i think we've all learned across the globe in the but past also if you don't have months. you know proper plumbing you know like yeah, absolutely it's just compounding yep. the the problem you there was no way they could not yeah. get yeah. cholera because mm-hmm. of the situation they were in until they put in that sewer mm-hmm. system and it did i think it was the scientists in london that figured it out and then shared that mm-hmm. information with the rest of the world so yeah it was kind of the I don't know the birthplace of sanitation because I've heard that some like Mesoamerican cities had right. plumbing of mm-hmm. some sort or at least drainage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not, I don't want to like claim that the Western world figured it out, mm-hmm. but uh, we at least figured out cholera at that yeah. point. Okay. That's a, that's a probably a whole different uh, yeah. episode. Yeah. Totally. It's on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. A whole new calamity to talk about. Yeah. And so the next thing I'm going to talk about itself it, it also could be its own podcast and I highly encourage one of you two to take this on. So, cause I'm going to be talking about a lot of different things in a short period of time. You could very easily spend an entire hour just on, on this one aspect of the volcano. So volcano eruption, as we said, it was a seven on the scale. So the biggest ever. And that, as we mentioned was um, it's, registering how big of a smoke plume how high things were ejected into the sky right Mm -hmm. and uh so this was able to eject higher than than most volcanoes it the and there's so much of it so much coming out so it got into uh obviously the highest the very very high levels of the atmosphere and up there due to the winds it just it the ash plume eventually circled the entire globe um Mm -hmm. so covering america europe asia and russia and we have ash um, samples from the poles as well so we just know that uh, obviously the um i would say europe asia and uh, the americas were affected the most but it just covered the entire globe with ash Mm -hmm. we saw that a little bit um in my lifetime i remember when there was a volcano that went off in um uh iceland and it disrupted it had so much um ash in the high levels of the atmosphere that planes could not fly Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we've seen just a little bit of that but just imagine that um, multiplied by like a thousand. So yeah. there was so much ash in the atmosphere all over the globe that it actually impacted global temperatures. So essentially the sun is coming in and hitting Earth's atmosphere. There's so much ash in the atmosphere, it's bouncing back and it's not able to get down to the ground itself. So we have what's known as our, what I'm going to be our second disaster of the day. Um, or third the, or fourth or fifth or whichever oh, one. Yeah, <laughs> depending on the yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what number we're on. The year without a summer, which is 1816, uh, the, the summer directly after this happened. So, uh, of course, the eruption happens in April 1915. So okay. And it takes quite a while for all this ash to kind of cover the globe. And uh, this, there, um, yeah. So, um with temperatures being drastically different, um, it, it impacted like all continents, but in all different ways. Um, so there, there were some reports in Asian countries where normally they would have monsoon systems coming at specific months of the year. And what happened there is they actually had droughts instead, the complete opposite. Um, and eventually they did ha- get the, the monsoons, but by then there was huge runoff because the, the, dirt had been the ground had been so dry oh, these flats yeah. drip the mm-hmm. earth of the the good soil just compounds the problem mm-hmm. same thing happens after like a forest fire because you know that all the vegetation is gone and and then right there's nothing to hold the right, land and together. then it starts raining in the winter and then it just starts sliding down the mountain so mm-hmm. yeah same 
if every if the drought has killed killed all the stuff off that holds the the dirt in place Mm -hmm. Hmm. um there are reports from that year of people in dc celebrating the fourth of july and having to wear coats and mittens because it was so cold Hmm. um yeah what in washington Washington, dc absolutely that's like a coats and mittens on the fourth of july built on a swamp i've heard that's just like I haven't been yeah. in the summer, but just that it's super. But summers in yeah. DC are hot, yeah. hot, hot. They're, it's in yeah. the 90s for sure. That's oh, crazy. Yeah. That's fascinating, is what it is. How cold must it have been in the winter if it was that way in the summer? But maybe, maybe it didn't last that long. I'm not sure. Most of what I've read really focused on the summer months. Um, but that's maybe that's when we dive into this more thoroughly in another podcast maybe we'll talk about that certainly it's a good point um yeah caitlin can i ask was this the summer we're talking about was it the summer immediately following that april or did it take a year before it got all around a year because the eruption was in april of um 1815 so that first summer would have been probably Mm -hmm. fine-ish unless you were really close Mm -hmm. to the volcano and then by a year later the sun wasn't working anymore and everything was yep. blacked out although i'm, I'm it was reading cold. here that it, it sounds like europe was kind of in the middle of a it had had several years of poor crops so like they had had a building um i don't know it doesn't spe- specify um anyway they'd had a an ongoing um crop failure happening in europe prior to this eruption so i'm gonna i this is the most fascinating part for me the part where mr cronk comes in because (laughs) so much of the history um that there's so many historical things that kind of tie into this story um so first of all this is totally random but um Jefferson was mentioned in one of the documentaries. He ended up going bankrupt right around the same time because there had bad crops and he uh, had like taken out some loans and essentially this was the the last straw. He just, he couldn't recover from this year. So he ended up filing for bankruptcy. Um, this is a kind of totally, totally random, but there was mention of, um, uh, the founder of the the Mormon religion had been living at the same time, and there there's like some debate about whether his um, kind of spiritual wanderings and kind of quest to understand religion and godhood uh, kind of stemmed a little bit from uh, just the disasters that he was seeing and the extreme weather that had happened in his teenage years. Um, so that's kind of just, I didn't really focus too much on that, but it's so far reaching. This one volcano has so much, like it affected so many different people that we still know about today. Um, and, and are huge shapers of either our country or, you know, religions or the world. So it's just fascinating. Um, I want to dive specifically into France and Britain, though. Uh, there, as Jama had mentioned, there'd been some couple of years of crop failure already, but this certainly um, exacerbated things in a, in a really bad way. Um, the results, uh, well, the documentary that I watched was, it was very much cause and effect, um, that it was 100% this volcano's um, uh, the, the volcano eruption was responsible for the riots in France and Britain. I'm not necessarily sure that's true, but <laughs> it certainly contributed. Um, okay. So what you have in France and Britain, everyone was dependent on grain to make bread. And without the grain crop, you have starvation or, um, you know, people living with malnut- malnutrition and some, um, keen merchants um, were paying attention to the weather systems and patterns. They bought out all the, the, the local farmers, the, any grain they might have had in store because they were just trying to be, you know, shrewd businessmen and to stock up for the next couple of years. 
and that was very wise of them to do so. Um, but unfortunately, the working class who thought they were making a good buck um, at the moment, then the, the next year when they, their crops completely failed, uh, these merchants kind of had a monopoly and um, it resulted in obviously a lot of uh, robbery and anger and, you know, economic upheaval. And then that bled into uh, political um, protests even. And so um, we have two important stories I want to dive into. One is this German pastor who just got really tired of burying his congregation. Um, just too many people were dying. Either they'd get an illness and they weren't healthy enough to fight it, or they were dying of starvation, kind of one of the two. And he just was sick of it. And so he and his cousin decided to go out and just try and figure out how else can we be is there another way to, to find sustainable living that's not grain? So they'd go out into the forest, they'd walk around and they'd be collecting different um, ingredients and like experimenting in the kitchen with them, just seeing how on earth hmm. to find another way of, of eating and surviving. And that is how we come mm -hmm. to know the potato bread. Um, they found that you can knead potatoes into flour and then make bread out of it. And because potatoes... Um, were a crop that could survive bad weather better than grain. It was a uh -huh, it was much cheaper alternative yeah. than. So, um, his name, his last name was Fowler, and um, according to the documentary, uh, the potato bread is most likely the the most important culinary invention of the nineteenth century. Hmm. My God! Have you guys ever heard of him before? I have potato bread in my refrigerator right now. <laughs> Sliced sandwich potato bread. <laughs> had you guys heard of him before? Yeah. I just have to have some for dinner. Had you what? guys heard? Okay. No, uh, I never okay. heard of that. I didn't. Never heard of that before. Um, the second story I want to talk about is the Peterloo Massacre of 1819. And I know it's saying, well, this is several what? years since... 1815 when our volcano erupted but it all of these things are kind of chain reaction and and connected so you have several years of um you know starvation or at least uh, malnutrition you have people who are struggling struggling to to survive you have an upper class getting richer and a lower caste getting ca um, lower class getting poorer and it eventually culminated in mm -hmm. a protest uh, which now is known as the Peterloo Massacre. Um, I'm reading from my notes here. It was essentially chronic unemployment and harvest failure exacerbated by the corn laws. And so the corn laws were um, passed and essentially they kept the cost of bread very high. Um, the, are we in the yes, UK? Yes, I'm sorry. Caitlin? We're in Britain. No. Yeah. Okay. Jema, are All we right. in Britain? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you are. I'm pretty sure I'm you're in Peterloo Massacre. Just double check and make sure I'm not lying. Um, so all of this, you know, you have a very, very frustrated people who've been dealing with, you know, issues that affect their day to day and their ability to provide for their families um, for several years running now. And it culminated in a protest against the politicians of the day. Um, and it was at first a peaceful protest, but the um, politicians of the day essentially got frustrated. They um, arrested the protest leader. In doing so, they knocked over a woman and accidentally killed her child. And then so the crowd became even more um, unruly and frustrated. And so um, the politician said to the police force, um, you need to go disperse the crowds. And what happened um, actually was the armed cavalry uh, were, they drew there, and, and you guys are going to have to help me with my pronunciation again. Is it called a saber, the sword? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so definitely mm -hmm. it's not spelled that way, but. <laughs> um, yeah, you did good went into the crowd with swords drawn and they killed uh it says nine to 15 people but 
they're on horseback. So about 400 to 700 were injured from the ensuing confusion. Um, if you can imagine just a large crowd. They're trying to dispel, to dispel the to protest. disperse the people. Disperse mm-hmm. to make everybody yeah. go home. Well, that's a timely image, yeah. isn't it? That's what it was so familiar. The story to me, it's like we have this, um, you know, singular event that happened in one portion of the world and how quickly it affects the economy and the health and all these various, you know, just it's so far reaching. And then um, it just puts everything on edge several years down the road. Yep. Everything's connected yeah, to everything. So this yeah. Kind of, you know, police state of, of violence happening as well. So, um, well, and the other thing to think about is that, is that these people, this explosion, this, this volcanic eruption happened on the other side of the world mm-hmm. and even the people there weren't quite, I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of people died and the people that were alive on, you know, islands hundreds of miles away, they weren't sure what was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, so no one at the time knew that there had been this um, volcano that, you know, they had no, it was their immediate right. lives were just being shattered and they didn't have context any reference. They may have thought it was like God's retribution yeah. or yeah. just some random or thing. The, they couldn't or it, put it together yeah, or with it this event that had happened. It was the, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, sure. They knew that the weather was weird and that, that it wasn't, you know, their crops were failing and, you know, but they, they didn't have a, a context, you know, we can look back on the, the history of it and kind of put it into a, a broader context with other things that were happening in other parts of the world, but, you know, people dying of cholera and, and these, you know, uh, uh, yeah, just all of it adding, adding together. And, you know, that makes me wish that I did have a, cause I, I feel like just from general history, I understand sort of what happened in Europe at this time, but I wish I had a broader idea of the effects in the entire continent mm-hmm, of right. Africa yeah. that year and and all of Asia like I don't mm-hmm. have any any idea what happened there I mean Caitlin said their rice fields probably didn't do well because they had the drought and then a mm-hmm. monsoons but I'm not sure exactly which parts of the world that I mean I think that's more like Indian subcontinent so I don't I don't know I'm just really curious I wish that we had better mm-hmm. a more robust yeah. history it wasn't so western focused yeah even even this wikipedia page about the summer of uh, or the year without a summer uh, it does only list um asia europe and north america Mm -hmm. um it doesn't well i should say Mm -hmm. south america and north america too like south america always gets forgotten (laughs) for some reason but i mean there's gotta have been there must have been crazy repercussions like what happened Mm -hmm. in the rainforest Mm -hmm. that year what happened on the pampas where they were having you know, they had all the right. cattle yeah. or whatever. So mm-hmm. I just um, yeah. So just to kind of tie up that um, train of thought, I did want to say, yes, I can say this happened in England because um, I have a quote from the historian. Man- Manchester. Manchester. Okay. The, the historian Robert Poole um, is famously quoted uh, saying that the Peterloo massacre is, quote, the bloodiest political event of the 19th century in English soil. And uh, my last thought there, too, is um, that this ultimately led to the development of the welfare state. So things that we might kind of take for granted now really had its origin in this, you know, 18, 15, 18, sure. 30 time frame where there's a lot of um, a lot of citizens untrusting of their leaders and, you know, protesting and and fighting about you know and result was essentially the welfare state now i know the documentary might be so this realization that we need a safety net because these kinds of things can happen unexpectedly and there needs to be something the government could do something some kind of Mm -hmm. plan Yeah. yeah okay and then my um my last uh interesting tidbit from the weather how the weather had affected uh, global economic and, and uh, just factors, I guess, is that right around this time and because of the, the starvation or, you know, mass malnutrition, this is about when we see a lot of people 
leaving Europe and coming to the U.S. for a new start or for um, mm-hmm. a better, you know, dreams of a better life. And then also mm-hmm. there was a wave of immigration at that time. Wave of, Exactly. Thank you. And then in the U.S., you have people who had been on the East Coast, then making their way over West to, you know, try you know, with your horse and buggy mm-hmm. and like trying to, um, you know, find more land and and kind of, again, make a new life for themselves because they had, you know, there wasn't really anything for them. Or- exactly. The American exactly. dream. Okay. So- Go West, get land, become So rich. I'm almost done, guys. I have three awesome random little tidbits that i am so excited about um well two of them and one of them i'm I'm less excited okay i'll start with the less exciting one so it turns out that jane austen died on july 18th in 1817 and her health at this time like for several years had been kind of poor um she had, you know, kind of some chronic um, aches and pains that she'd been dealing with. And I think she, um, according to the sources, had been uh, kind of dealing with some respiratory problems on and off. And sounds like her death was kind of linked to those things. But it's interesting that in the year of 1816, there really was no summer. So normally you, you might feel ill and have a, have a bad winter, but then the spring comes and the summer comes and you're feeling better and more lively. And then the winter comes again. It's this, uh, you know, up and down. Whereas she had this year of just an entire year of cold and wet. It was just raining all the time in Britain and then uh, another winter. And then she ended up passing away in the, in the following July. So that, that was really interesting. The next one is Mary, Shelley's Frankenstein, very famous play. Mm, yeah. She wrote it during a holiday, a party with friends in Switzerland. Yeah. They had originally uh-huh. planned for a um a week or weekend getaway filled with like we're gonna go to the lakes, we'll go maybe horseback riding or something, we'll go out to the like everything was outdoors. They were excited to, to go out to a cabin out in the woods kind of secluded and, and enjoy the outdoors and because of this weather change it was just cold and dark and raining the entire weekend so the people of the party they were very resourceful and they said well we can still have some fun let's all do a writing challenge let's go to our separate rooms we'll write down some sort of funny little story and then we'll come together we'll share the stories and we'll pick who's is best and so the setting of Frankenstein happens to be on this very, uh, you know, gloomy, dark, rainy, thunderstormy night when, when Frankenstein is created. And that is in fact the setting that she was in at the time she wrote the story. So she was, you know, having a lot of fun, just like taking, taking her current environment and then like making this fantastical story out of it. So had, had the weather been different, they would have been outside enjoying the great outdoors and that story never would have been written. Um, The last thing that I want to say, which I'm the most excited about, um, as you both know, I am a huge fan of the painter J.M.W. Turner. In fact, Jama bought me a book that I still have Mm -hmm. um, of his his paintings. Did you know, did you know that Mm -hmm. the yellow skies Mm -hmm goal of summer in 1915 had a profound impact mm-hmm. on his painting which blew my mind mm-hmm. because i can think of yeah. some specific paintings where um i did you say 1915 you right. totally ruined my whole <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm yeah i'm just <laughs> making sure no 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 sorry no, i'm sorry I no, I, but that, that was my bad i was just skipping yeah. over the details um as i do but so what i love about his painting is his use of color in the sky I had no idea, though, that because of all this ash in the high, I want to say stratosphere, I don't know if that's even correct, but the high altitudes, it made for some phenomenal sunsets mm-hmm. and sunrises. They were way more colorful yeah. than they would have been otherwise, and particularly mm-hmm. had a lot of yellow. And so it, mm-hmm. uh, Turner was painting that year, and a lot of his paintings from ni- 1815 have this beautiful yellow effect of the sky and he's not the mm-hmm, one yeah. there's others and so almost all the, well not almost 
I'm kind of generalizing here, but there are a lot of painters from 1815 who, Mm -hmm. who had landscapes where clouds were a very prominent um, and and dominant feature. And it's because it was the year where there there was just always clouds in the sky. It was, you never had a nice, Mm -hmm. um, a nice sunny day. And so it just, it's fascinating to go back and just, pick out paintings from 1815 and 1816 and see these this common theme that I had no idea about but makes so much sense once it's explained to me so that's it that's Mm -hmm. the story so I'm finally done yeah (laughs) yeah it's uh it's super interesting the, the way that it affects just like Jillian was saying how everything is connected I mean I mean how how crazy is it that well, and, and you get, you get, you know, such varied responses. I mean, you, sure, you had, you had a lot of death and destruction, obviously. But then there are these little pockets of something interesting, something was created because the environment was structured in such a way you have this artwork, you have these, um, you know, these uh, fictional yeah. stories that these little yeah, bursts that, of light mm-hmm. that came out of the mm-hmm. out, yeah. out of the trouble. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it makes it trouble worth it exactly, but it's it's some kind of it's yeah, some yeah. kind of silver lining. I don't want to like negate all the death and destruction, but there's some kind of silver lining mm-hmm. to most disasters, which is that there are a few people for whom it changes their world mm-hmm. or their worldview or their life in a positive way, or it cha- it moves the whole country in a mm-hmm. in a better direction because they had to improve and sanitation so or whatever stuff, after their it's, city it's burned down. That Just, we won't we won't ever we won't you can't see it until you're, you are removed from it a certain amount. So, yeah. you know, what's going on in, in the world right now and what was going on, like. Oh, I am had, fascinated yeah. to feel, to hear if, how this is reported yeah, on 50 yeah, years from now. Things that we're going what, through right now. Yeah. What it's going to look like, you know, yep. from a distance. What kind of novels came out of this? What kind of amazing art came out? What yeah. kind of, you know horror and you know how in which ways was it worse than we even thought and where and what was did, it I what mean, did it we just, learn and what did, how did we books. grow and yeah i mean as a, as you know like a you know global society not i mean individually as well like like what what just personal changes people make on an individual level but oh yeah, yeah it happens on mm-hmm. all levels but we all just levels. local we're just too in the middle of it right now and global. it'll be a while before we're able to hopefully see yeah assess see something yeah learn something from it yeah that was really good that was amazing and your tie-ins to the art and literature at the end i'm dying you're gonna just win (laughs) the podcast of the year award i just preemptively give it thank you can you tell us a little bit about your um resources you were mentioning a documentary yes that you'd watch yes so i want to say um as jillian and i always do we we definitely go to wikipedia and i want to say both of these pages that they each have their own you can you can search for the 1815 uh year without a summer and then separate no i'm sorry 1816 year without a summer and then 1815 um mount tambura eruption um those are very well done wikipedia pages with a lot of resources and and visuals but um the main source was a documentary that i watched it was about 45 minutes um you can find it on youtube it's produced by DW Documentary, um, and it's called Mount Tambora and the Year Without a Summer. And uh, because I know you two are readers and, and our dad is as well, I just want to um, tell you guys that even though I didn't read this book, um, it was it looked like a pretty comprehensive um, source for people who, who like diving into the you know written word a little bit more on this. So you can check out a book called The Year Without Summer. 1816 and the volcano that darkened the world and changed history it's a very long title but that's it it's written by william, i want to read it william k klingeman. yeah okay, definitely authors Going are william k klingeman and nicholas p klingeman um so yeah if you guys could read that and tell me about it i would love i would love that but i didn't have time to read book. you know one <laughs> so. One book I would I would recommend uh, as well, not that this was one of your resources, but I've read a book called uh, The Little Ice Age, How Climate Made History from 1300 to 15, uh, 1850 um, by Brian Fagan, F-A-G-A-N. Um, that is 
that is a pretty interesting um or i'm sorry it's called the that's again is it's europe focused right um, it's england focused is uh it's been but has to do with events around the world yeah that Mm -hmm. that affected the climate you know it it was a, a wider look at it than just from this eruption but um but yeah uh really interesting um how climate made history yeah it's really good awesome all right well thank you guys for listening yeah. it was really fun research researching and i'm looking forward to our next one already awesome me too that was great kayla right, no thanks problem. so much for the story and to all of our listeners thank you guys for listening take care We hope you enjoyed the episode. Before we go, we want to leave you with a few ways to keep in touch. First of all, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast and rate it and tell your friends so that other people can discover our content. But if you want to give more feedback or send us topics, suggestions, here's how you can keep in touch. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can email us at calamitypodcast at yahoo.com. You can visit our website at calamitypodcast.com. And you can support this awesome project on Patreon. We hope to hear from you soon.